Let's try that one more time. Good morning. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. We have the opportunity to worship every single week. I think we take that for granted so often. Um, thank you so much to the worship team. I'm grateful for all of you. And uh, if you're here with me this morning, would you open up uh, your Bibles to Psalm 54? Psalm 54. We have begun uh, the second half of our Psalm series. This took us three years to get back, but man, we're here. <laughs> Listen, if you're turning there right now, let me just say if you're here as a guest, if you're watching online, listening to our podcast uh, later on, we're so grateful for you. Thank you so much for joining us for worship. I say this often, you are not here by mistake if you're sitting in this place right now. If you're watching online right now, you're not watching by mistake. I believe with all my heart that the God of heaven has brought you to this place for a purpose, and that's to hear about him and hear about his son, Jesus. So with that said, let me go ahead and invite you to stand for the reading of God's word at Psalm 54. To the choir master with stringed instruments of Maskell of David. When the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies, and your faithfulness put an end to them. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Can we pray? So, Father, right now, I pray you would steady our hearts. Calm us, Lord. We've had busy weeks. Some of us right now are dealing with things that we cannot even begin to imagine. Lord, give us calmness this morning. Remind us of who you are. Point our hearts to Jesus. And, oh, Father, I pray for those who have felt betrayed, abandoned, rejected. Oh, God, may we find delight and hope in you this morning. Lead this time, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So as I've prepared for this message all week, specific verses came to my mind over and over. And if it's all right, I'd love to share it with you as we get started. Matthew 26, the back half of verse 45 says, See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, I love a good story. I'm sure like many of you and it would make sense to hear that Jesus was arrested and attacked by his enemies. It would make sense if it, that word betrayed there would mean that his enemies betrayed him. That makes sense. But this verse is so humbling because it says the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Which reference in here is the time when Judas betrayed Jesus. And this is why it's incredible. It's not Jesus' enemies who betray him. It's his very own friend. That's a completely different type of pain that we're talking about. If you're attacked by somebody who don't like you, you kind of see that coming. 
But what about when your family member, those closest to you, your neighbor, those who've broke bread with you, who know you personally, what if they betray you? It's a completely different type of pain, completely different type of suffering. For our redemption, Jesus was betrayed into the hands of sinners, not by his enemy, but by his close friend who broke bread with him, who lived life with him, who followed him for three years. Jesus knew Judas, and Judas knew Jesus. And at this final hour, as the will of work for our redemption begins to roll, Jesus here is betrayed by his closest friend. I believe we often reflect on the sufferings of Jesus physically. The Bible says he was beaten so bad he was unrecognizable. But have you ever stopped to consider Jesus' emotional suffering and torture for you, for your redemption? You see, it's one thing to be betrayed by your enemy, but it's a deeper and more painful reality when it's those closest to you who betray you. Jesus suffered betrayal at the deepest level for us when his close friend turned his back on him. And this morning in Psalm 54, David takes us back to a moment in his life when he, like Jesus, experienced the deepest level of emotional hurt when those closest to him turned their backs on him and betrayed him as well. He tells us in the header of Psalm 54 that the context is when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? This takes us back to 1 Samuel 23 and in 26, where David again finds himself running from King Saul, who wants him dead. And everywhere David goes, people keep turning on him. They keep going to Saul and saying, hey, he's hiding over here. Come get him. So David and his crew goes and finds himself in the land of the Ziphites, who were fellow clansmen, essentially his cousins from the tribe of Judah. So in this moment, you would think David's probably feeling pretty confident that his cousins wouldn't trade on him. You think that's a kind of a safe hiding place. But what we see down in verse 19 of 1 Samuel 23 is that the Ziphites even turn on him and go to Saul and say, isn't David hiding with us? Let me show you where he is. I'll turn him in myself. That's the context for this passage this morning. But before we begin to diving into this thing, I can't stop but to help and uh, to realize that this experience of David is something that every single one of us have experienced at some point in our lives. I mean, who in this room has not been betrayed or hurt or abandoned in some way? The question here isn't, have you been betrayed? The question is, how do you, feel, how do you respond when you feel abandoned, rejected, or betrayed? How do you react to it? That's the question. So today in Psalm 54, I want to challenge you to respond how we see David here responding. 
Ultimately, when you feel betrayed, you need to do what David did when he was betrayed and turn to God. So in this psalm, we're going to see what that means to turn to God and how David did it. This leads me to the main idea this morning that in times of abandonment or betrayal, God's people turn to him for rescue and justice. So so in this passage, as we reflect on David's prayer and experience, I would like to point out three ways we turn to God when we feel betrayed. So David here in Psalm 4 gives us a blueprint, if you will, as to how to respond when we feel betrayed. Verses 1 through 3, David praises God for his deliverance. Verses 4 through 5, David hopes in God for his deliverance. And in verses 6 through 7, David worships God for his deliverance. First, David prays to God. Go with me back to verse 1. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. In verses 1 through 3, we feel the urgency of David's cry to God. A, A typical layout of a lament psalm, we would see verses 1 through 3 in reverse. Typically, the psalmist would explain his situation, then ask the Lord to hear him, and then pray for deliverance afterwards. However, in this psalm, David begins by crying out to God to save him from the sudden disaster. In verse 1, he asks God to rescue and defend him. He says, oh God, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might. David here calls on the name of the Lord to save him. Now, for us in 2022, our names don't carry as much significance as they did in David's time. But in David's day, and even in Jesus's day, your name reflected your very character. It represented all that you were as a person. So as David is crying out to God's name, he's ultimately crying out to God himself. God's name represents here all that he is. It's the sum total of his perfect attributes. Uh, Back in Exodus 3, God has called Moses to go and rescue the people of Israel from Egypt. And down in verse 13, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, say this to all the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, that name I am is rooted in the Hebrew verb to be. That's why it's translated I am. This this word is in the present tense, so it reveals God as the eternal present, as the one who has always existed and who always exists, the unchangeable God. Eternal existence here also implies self-existence, self-sufficiency, meaning God doesn't depend on anyone or any other thing. He is completely and perfectly sufficient in and of himself for existence. 
So David, in this moment of desperation, where he has been betrayed and feels abandoned, where he has nowhere else to turn, he looks up to heaven and calls out to his God, the everlasting, the unchangeable, the all-sufficient, completely sovereign, perfectly loving God of the universe to come and to defend him and save him by his wonderful attributes. This morning, we often find ourselves in situations like David that have no conceivable human solution. But can I share something with you that David believes? What's impossible for man is possible with God. You feel helpless this morning. You feel broken this morning. You feel lost this morning. What is impossible for man to get through is possible for God. In verse 1, David prays for God to save him, but he further prays that God will also vindicate him. Vindicate him. He says, and vindicate me by your might. Vindicate here is a judicial term, which means to clear someone of blame or to show or prove someone to be right or justified. So picture a courtroom scene. David here knows that he is innocent. He knows that his enemy is in the wrong. So he stands before the judge, and this is what he's saying. Prove me innocent. Prove me innocent, God. David is concerned here with what is right before his holy God. Spurgeon writes, We dare not appeal to God in a bad cause, but when we know that we can fearlessly carry out our cause before his justice, we may well commit it to his power. David is being treated as a traitor and an enemy of of Saul, He's been unjustly betrayed by the Ziphites, and this is what David is praying. Oh, God, show them who is really wrong in this situation. Rescue me. Punish them. Notice what he then prays in verse 2. He says, oh, God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. He asks God here to hear his prayer. So when I was three or four years old, uh, my dad played basketball his, my entire life, and he was really good at basketball. And like any three or four-year-old kid, I'm always there where he was, and I was at all his basketball games, all his basketball practices. So he was playing his game. I was playing with my friends out there in the lobby of the church. And one specific weekday night, me and my best friend's older brother at the time was just out there playing in the lobby. And all of a sudden, these older kids come up to us and say, hey, can we play with y'all? And sure, more than Mary. Well, just a little bit later, these older kids began bullying us and circling us and shoving us and they're grabbing us. And being the professional wrestling fan that I was my whole life, I learned how to shimmy out of it and I kicked the kids' shins. And this is all I remember. My friend's brother looks at me and says, Micah, go get help. So I'm crying. I'm running back out to the basketball court where my dad's playing this game. And I just remember saying, oh, come help us. Come help us. And I don't remember how the game stopped, but my dad and the others started running after us. And they go out to the lobby. And I remember my dad grabbing those older kids and throwing them on the wall. And at that moment, I felt safe. And this is what David does. He just needs his father to hear his cry for help. He needs him to say, oh, daddy, I feel circled right now. My enemy's after me. Will you come help me? 
Will you hear my cry for help? You know what happens? His daddy comes after him and saves him. He continues in verse 3. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. So David describes to God the situation he's facing here. Now, for most of us in this room, we don't speak like this. In the South, there's this negative stigma that surrounds us when we are actually honest about how we feel or if we are having a problem. Now, you know this is true, even though it's not said. People's response when you are actually honest about something makes them a little uncomfortable. So we tend to just keep everything to ourselves, never sharing how we actually feel. And we just continue to build this ball of tension that can explode at any moment. And the truth is, as Christians, we tend to be the same way when we are speaking with God. We're never open and honest to God about how we feel about our specific situation. And at best, we give a vague summary of that issue and we just move on. Uh, Listen. David was not like this. We see this here in this psalm. We see this throughout the other psalms. Um, He is not the least hesitant to say what he thinks and describes a situation as he sees it. Down in verse 3, he's telling the truth. The Ziphites had risen up against him. They betrayed him unjustly. There were men who were seeking to kill him. And at this point... David didn't know when the next person who he considered a friend might betray him and try to find favor with King Saul. So so David evaluates this situation, and he rightly concludes and honestly expresses to God that those who were after him and who had betrayed him were living their lives in such a way as if God did not exist. They weren't worried about what was right here. They weren't worried about the consequences of their sin. Unlike David, they did not set God before themselves. So this is what David is praying. God, prove me innocent. Save me. Vindicate me by your name and might because these people are in the wrong. These people do not care about you. They're not worried about what's right and what's just. Prove them wrong. Boyce concludes this verse rightly when he says, if you are facing some hard problems, I encourage you to tell God about it in detail. God knows it already, of course, but it will do you good to spell it out. And mentioning details will remind you that God also knows and cares about them. And listen, you will also be remembering that God cares for you. So in in first, in verses 1 through 3, David prays to God, and then secondly, in verses 4 through 5, David hopes in God. Verse 4, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness. Put an end to them. Verse 3, David is honest about the ungodliness of his evil pursuers. And in verses 4 through 5, he contrasts their ungodliness with his godliness. His enemies don't set God before themselves, but he places his entire hope and trust in God for everything. Verse 3, David describes the situation, but notice in verse 4 that he immediately shifts and spends time remembering who God truly is. 
It's important for us to grab onto today. Yes, we may be in a tough situation. Yes, the walls around us might be collapsing. I'm not trying to downsize your problems. I'm not trying to water them down. But listen, this is important for us to think about. We cannot continue to roll around in all the mud and dirt of our problems all the time. I know it's tough. But listen, I know that our God is greater than anything that you are going through at this very moment. God is greater than anything you've got going on. Today, your circumstances don't define you. Your circumstances should not cause you to lose hope. We must be careful here because it, if we never look away from the circumstance and all of our affections and worries are always centered on the situation, yes, we won't be able to move forward, but watch this. We, in fact, could be creating an idol in our lives and transitioning our worship from the living God to a false one. David, in verse 3, explains his troubles, but immediately in verse 4, he reminds himself of who God is. He says, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. David's enemies are on an evil pursuit to take his life, and this is what he says. The eternal, sovereign, almighty God is on my side. He will help me, he will defend me, and he will sustain my life. That's who God is, and God's hope is that God will be exactly who he says he is for him. Isaiah 41 Verse 10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not define them. Uh, Find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. 1 Peter 5, 7, you know this verse if you've been in church long enough. Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Would you like to know where Peter found that text? Psalm 55. The very next psalm, this is what Psalm 55, 22 says. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 54, David has cast his anxiety on God. That's what verses 1 through 3 have been about. Now, having done this, he is ready to encourage himself by remembering that God is indeed his help and that he has been sustaining him and will continue to sustain him in his difficulties. Not only does David remind himself of who God is, but as I've already been hinting at, he also trusts God's faithfulness. Verse 5, he will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. So here David trusts God's faithfulness to do what is right and to defend his children. Here's two verses for you. Deuteronomy 32, 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Listen to Psalm 91. 
Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we have often said here in this pulpit, and I've said this many times myself, God can't not be himself. He's always the same. If he's loving, he's always loving. If he's merciful, he's always merciful. If he is righteous, he's always right. And that includes every decision that he makes. God is always faithful. It's impossible for him to not be. Not only will he do what is right, but he will also defend his children against the enemy just as he has promised. You know this verse well, Romans 8:31. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Down in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. David knows that God is perfectly righteous, so his hope is that God will be faithful to his character and do what is right in this situation, which is to destroy his enemy and save his life. So in verses 1 through 3, David first prays to God. And then in verses 4 through 5, he secondly hopes in God. And thirdly, in verses 6 through 7, he worships God. Go with me to verse 6. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. So in these last two verses, David is so certain of God's deliverance from his enemy that, watch this, he worships the Lord before it even happens. Do you ever do that? Middle of a storm, middle of a situation, you might be feeling betrayed right now. Do you worship even when you don't feel like it? David does. In verse 6, David first thanks God for his goodness. He says, with the free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. In church, can we just pause for a moment and just say yes and amen. Our God and Savior is so good. He's so good. Because all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. May we never forget this morning how good our God truly is. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's placed his breath in our lungs. He has sealed us with the spirit. He's never left our side. And he has given us his name. God is good. Amen? God is good. Now, for the sake of time here, I'm not going to explain fully what this free will offering was. So here's the encouragement. Go back to Leviticus 3, 7, 16, and Numbers 22, 39 to have a deeper understanding. But here's a summary of what the sacrifice was. The free will offering, also called the fellowship offering, was a spontaneous sacrifice offered willingly and voluntarily. It was an offering or sacrifice made from a grateful heart for deliverance from sickness, trouble or death, or even for a blessing received. 
So, so in this passage, David is willingly offering a thanksgiving offering from a grateful heart for all that God has done for him. It's not a bribe here. He's not saying, Lord, I will bring you an offering if you do this for me. No, this is a voluntary or spontaneous thanksgiving offering promised to God in advance of his deliverance on the grounds of his firm confidence that God would indeed deliver him. David thanks God for his goodness, and then he thanks God for what he has and will do for him. Go with me to verse 7. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. So let me ask you this question. How does David know that God would deliver him from the situation? Answer. It's because of who God is. God is my help. And because God has delivered him in the past, he can be confident and for sure that God will deliver him in the future. You see, the more we reflect on what God has done for us in the past, the more confident we are in him for the future. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right, in Joshua. After they crossed the Jordan River, what did they do? They built a monument. And every time they went past that monument in the future, they went and talked to their kids. Kids asked, what's these rocks mean? Let me tell you what these rocks mean. It tells me that God delivered me back at the Jordan River. And this is a way for us to remember that we should worship the living God for what he's done for us in the past. David's doing the same thing here. He remembers every time that God had delivered him in the past. And he's confident that God will deliver him in the future. So he worships. Notice the transition at the verse of 54. David lacks confidence. And watch what happens. We see here at the end what the conclusion is when you fully turn to God for rescue. As David turns to the Lord and places all of his anxiety and trust and worship on him, he is restored to a quiet trust and confidence in God as he goes through this difficult time of Betrayal. He goes from a lack of confidence to a heart full of worship in his living God. So what? I got two questions for us, and I got some concluding thoughts. Two questions just for you to consider today. How do you respond when you feel abandoned or betrayed? How do you respond? Secondly, where does your help come from? Where does your help come from? Today, as we close, if I could boil these two questions down to one, it would be this. Who do you want to be in control of the situation that you're going through? Who do you want to be in control? Have you been betrayed today? Have you been hurt Has someone close to you let you down and turned their back on you? If you look around, does it seem like everyone is against you? Let's take that perspective of health because other things let us down besides people. What about your health? Has your health let you down? Has it betrayed you? Has your physical body turned on you? Let's talk about sin. 
Sin promises joy and satisfaction, and all it does is lead you down to despair and brokenness. Has your sin let you down today? Whatever the situation is, the question is, do you want to control it the way you want to, or will you humble yourself, turn to God, and like David, put your hope in him to handle it perfectly in his own way? Ask the question this way, will you surrender your situation to God? Will you lay your burdens on him and your worries and your troubles on the shoulders of our mighty Savior who has more than enough capability to carry everything you got going on? A few simple truths I believe that are profound for us to grab in Psalm 54 is that first, the God of heaven cares about every detail of our lives. And secondly, he will never abandon you. Though this world will betray and abandon you, God never will. Jesus came to this world. He was betrayed by his friend into the hands of sinners. He was forsaken by his father at the cross so that you and I will never have to be abandoned again. If you are in Christ today, you can repeat with David that God is my helper. He is the one who upholds my life. Jesus defeated our greatest enemy, sin and death, when he said it was finished on the cross and he rose from the grave and he has now placed his spirit inside of us. He's interceding for us. He's always by our side, even in the hardest days and moments that we face. You can say it this way. Jesus is the perfect friend, and he always will be. The question is simply, will you turn to him today? Will you turn to him today? The famous hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have you trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to go ahead and come up. I'm going to ask everybody just to bow their heads for for our, as we close here. Um, as I've prepared this week and as I've been praying this week, I know my own tendencies. I want to handle everything in my own, my own way. I'm always worried. I'm always concerned. I'm always fearful about what's coming up before me. I just feel like there could be some in this room right now who, honestly, the same way. 
got burdens in your heart this morning, got worries in your heart this morning, you feel betrayed, you feel broken, you feel lost, confused about your situation. And the honest truth is, there could be people in this room who have never experienced that Jesus is good and have never put his faith, your faith in him. Your sins led you down a trail of, honestly, it's going to be death one day. That's the cost of sin. You feel lost. You feel confused. You need joy. Can I just implore to you today, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He cares about every detail of your life. He cares about you. All you have to do is humble yourself, repent, put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus this morning. Place all your burdens on his shoulders. I promise you he can carry anything you've got going on. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've got something going on that you just need somebody to talk to, pray to you with, I'm in the back. I'd love to talk to you. I'm not here to judge. I'm here just as a fellow struggler in worry and doubt to say there is an answer to all of our problems, and his name is Jesus. So let me pray for us. Oh, how good it is to trust in Jesus this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We all confess that in some way or the other, we have felt betrayed. We feel hurt. We feel broken. It's weighing on us, Father. Thank you for the promised truth this morning that you are here for us, that you have saved us through your son, and that we have full access into your presence. And oh God, I just pray for souls, Lord, that may we lay our burdens at your feet and trust you to handle them accordingly, perfectly, justly, because you're that good. Or may we respond by faith, trust, pray for souls in this room, people in this room who have never put their faith in Jesus, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. May they put their faith and trust in the crucified and risen Jesus who died for them at the cross, who rose from the grave them to give them new life. And, oh, God, give them freedom by his name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness today. May we never stop singing about it. And, oh, God, lead us now the rest of this day. And all we do, all to your glory. Thank you, Lord, for being so good and gracious. In Jesus' name, amen.